Welcome, Rinkrats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Rinkcast episode 34, exclusively sponsored by the Premium Hockey Outfitters at PuckHockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Use the discount code the Rink to get all of your nice, warm rink wear for the winter. Uh, flannels, hoodies, it's all good stuff. I've been using mine every day. It's getting nice and chilly here in Chicago, and I know, John, you were wearing yours to the uh, Columbus game the other day. Yes, and it uh, was incredibly comfortable, incredibly stylish, um, incredibly everything. It's very it's warm. Amazing. It's extremely warm. It's real warm. Yeah. So head over there and get your stuff. Uh, even if you don't get rink wear, use that discount code, the rink, and uh, get your 10% off. Of, but get uh, rink wear. Yeah, get anyway. rink wear too. Throw something on there. Throw a little extra in the, in, in, the, in the cart. For the people. Yeah, for the people. Anyway. Today is Wednesday, October 24th, 2018. I am Jeff Osborne, Brett, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. Uh, what's up, jerks? Yes, Satan. And I am joined by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy who ruins everything all the time, Mr. John Jekyll. Hello, sir. What's up, you big jabroni? <laughs> well, you know. Not too good, man. Man. You're being very undude. <laughs> You're being very undude. <laughs> this aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> and also on the line, you might have heard that giggle in the background. Our very own Warrior VIP, Mr. Mark Paprizika. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Nice of you to join us. I, I figured we could introduce you to all the fans and uh, talk a little hockey tonight. So. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. So, um, you know what? Let's start off really quickly. I mean, we didn't really give a formal introduction of you. I mean, kind of John gave a nice little intro on Twitter and stuff, but just kind of give the fans like a little bit of an idea, like where your hockey expertise is and stuff like that. And your, your, uh, work with warrior that your VIP thing and stuff like it just real quickly. Uh, lifelong Chicagoan, Chicago Blackhawks fan, of course. Uh, you know, I don't always buy into all the optimism or the pessimism. I like to uh, take objective views when I'm talking about the Blackhawks or on, hockey in man. general. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And, uh, you know, I play uh, various uh, rinks from time to time around the city, out in the suburbs. Uh, done some uh, ambassador uh, warrior hockey uh, stuff where your VIP winner in 2016 got a nice uh, haul of gear for doing that along with all the other gear they send me just for being kind of awesome. Not, not super <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much my expertise. I like to, uh, you know, I like to look at the game uh, anal- analytically, you know, I don't really like to like uh, jump to conclusions. Let's say, man, come on. <laughs> yeah well that's why you were such a good fit and we're glad you know i mean I, I used to work over at sports mockery and we actually did a podcast together last year and uh you know hey you know you you decided to join out join us over here and uh we're glad to have you so we're looking looking forward to a lot more stuff coming in the near future from uh from pappy so thanks thank man. you i like uh i like where you guys are headed cool yeah yeah they were we're well, trying uh, man. You're, that's one person anyway <laughs> Has the whole world gone crazy? <laughs> so, all right. Well, the Blackhawks. Um, 
they went two and two over the last week. Uh, we don't have to get too deep into the games themselves, but I'm just going to kind of rattle off what they did. Right now, they're five two and two with twelve points. Fourth, I think it's fourth in the Central. Uh, first game they lost to the Coyotes. That was the Corey Crawford game. Um, he did really well. Uh, lone goal was from Eric Gustafson. Uh, Corey Crawford saved thirty four or thirty one of thirty four plus an empty net goal. Hinnestroza, uh, Jalmerson, uh, their first games back at the United Center. Hawks outshot the Coyotes thirty four thirty one, and. Uh, power play was 0 for 2 so i mean there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in that game um columbus game john you were at that game uh goals goals by debrinket kruger and kane had two crawford saved 37 of 38 he looked really good fortin your boy your boy fortin almost got his first goal but it was deflected off of kruger and the uh the blackhawks only had 26 shots on net and they were 0 for 3 on the power play what were your thoughts on that uh, columbus game john uh it was the Corey Crawford show um, almost, you know, almost sort of borderline epic. I mean, just in terms of the entire Crawford narrative, which, you know, it, it's, it's really been remarkable. Um, you know, we talked about it here. Um, we had our doubts um, whether he would come back or come back a hundred percent. And yet we were saying, you know, that he was, he was literally um, facing this thing like a warrior. He wasn't giving up and he wanted to get back and, and, uh, he comes back and he's like literally recaptured his old form and thank goodness. Cause he's had to. Um, and, uh, you know, the Hawks had no business winning that game in Columbus really were it not for just an outstanding performance by Crawford. Uh, I will say that the, uh, the Kruger goal, which was a deflection of a Fortin shot. And it was actually, it was at the net on the opposite side of the ice from where I was sitting. So I actually couldn't see it. I thought that, um, it was Fortin's goal. And then, um, saw a replay and, and, uh, clearly it went in off of Kruger's, I guess his shin pad. And, um, but I think that was the, the goal that really changed the, um, the complexion of the game. And, and the, the Hawks after that had a lot more energy and they actually, you know, played pretty well after that point, um, and ended up winning the game. But, uh, yeah, Crawford was, was absolutely stellar. I mean, just big save after big save. Um, you know, it's really funny too, because, um, after watching Cam Ward for, you know, four or five games and, and then just Crawford is so disciplined in his crease and he holds his crease so well and just, you know, economical movements, always in control where, you know, Ward's always flopping around like a fish and, <laughs> you know, pucks, pucks just hit him a lot of the time. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it speaks to, and it, you know, I, I talked about it on Twitter this week that, um, you know, the, the, the underlying numbers for this team really up until the Anna, Anaheim game are not indicative of a really good five-on-five team, um, um, you know, and that, that the fact that they have kind of gotten lucky with getting to three-on-three overtime, and, and they've always been a pretty good three-on-three overtime team, if not a very good one. And then Corey Crawford bailing them out when their shot totals are, you know, really going upside down. Um but uh, yeah, so I mean, it was it was really great to see Crawford perform that way. Um, again, I hope that uh, the front office recognizes that that's what's going on, that the goalie is really carrying them, or at least again, up until the Anaheim game. Um, and um, not that Crawford played badly in that game either, but the other the, the rest of the team played well in that game. So I hope the front office is recognizing that and not allowing people to get or themselves to get lulled into a false sense of security. Um, about the rest of the team. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, that's kind of how it is. I mean, Crawford Crawford can't keep up this pace. I don't care who, you know, I don't care if it's Crawford from last year or Crawford from two years ago. He can't keep up be, facing this many shots and no, he won't. The levy not break. Uh, he, right now he's doing well. He's he's holding his own in there, but it's only going to last so long. And and even Cam Cam Ward when he was in there as a backup, like he played a pretty good game as a backup. He that game could have been 10, 10 to three if Cam Ward didn't make some of those good good saves that he made. Uh, I mean, any goalie that faces fifty four shots, and then I'll I'll kind of go through that next game next. But you face fifty four shots. I mean, come on, what team is going to win? When you face fifty-four shots, not not many, so not many, not many. But so so that's the lightning. We'll, we'll talk about the lightning game. They lost six-three. It was really pretty embarrassing. The the score really isn't indicative of what actually happened in the game. The Blackhawks were just getting stomped, and then towards the end, I think the the lightning took the their foot off the pedal a little bit, and Kampf and, and Schmaltz were able to get a couple of garbage goals at the end. But um, Fortin, your boy. Came back after not getting the the uh, the goal the the previous game, and then against the Lightning, scores on a really nice breakaway goal to get his first NHL goal. So that was really nice. Um, yeah, Cam Ward he really stood no chance. He saved forty nine of fifty four, faced thirty three shots in the second period, which is like a modern record in the NHL. Um, Bolts went up five one before the Blackhawks showed any life. Uh, Fortin hit his really nice goal. Small scored on the power play. Um, you know what? These the power play goals in the last two games were basically just dumb luck, I think, because the power play looks so disoriented. And then eventually, like the puck ends up on the right stick and rattles around. There's no there's no system to it, really. It's just dumb luck, I think. But um, Mark, did you see did you see the lightning game? What did you you what do you have any impressions on that? I mean, there wasn't really much to take away from that. They just got dominated the whole way through. And like you said, the score wasn't really indicative of the game. Uh, you know, it was two late goals, uh, Camp, uh, yeah, uh, Camp and Schmaltz on mm-hmm. the power play. But they just, I just, like one thing, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but like the, it just seems like the pace of play for the Blackhawks and whoever they're playing is just, you know, it's crazy. It's just back and forth games there's uh breakaways for both teams it just seems like you know uh Crawford or Ward whoever's in net have just been facing like three or four breakaways every game like very good chances not like contested at all and just you know I speak I think that speaks to the defense that they're just not you know playing well positionally so it's kind of you know the lightning game you know I think it's the first game that they looked terrible this year but um I think they came back pretty well uh, in the Ducks game, which you haven't got to yet. So yeah, I don't right, really want yeah. to talk about that. No, yeah, they were they were exposed really bad in that game, and it, it just goes to show a team with some really good talent is going to expose them, and they're not going to, you know, they don't want to be you exposed. Know, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, Toronto and Tampa, two um, very fast teams, um, also two teams with very good coaches. Um, it's almost like you, if, if you got a fast team and you can sucker the Hawks into a track meet, the Hawks are going to make so many mistakes that you're going to be able to take advantage of. Um, probably starting with Eric Gustafson, uh, quite honestly. 
um, who gets caught way up the ice way too often. I mean, people used to complain about Michael Kempney or Johnny Oduya doing that. But, um, you know, I mean, and, and even in his own end, he's always he's always turned the wrong way. Um, so I, I, I think I think when these two teams that have kind of really more so than the others, they've played expose the Hawks, Toronto and um, and uh, Tampa. Um, it just it just seems like, you know, the Hawks are, are definitely a faster team this year than they've been in years past. But they're all they're much less disciplined than they've been in years past. I mean, they're they're just a mess structurally. That's a good point because mistakes like that, Joel Quenville would have set guys for two, three games at a time uh, in the past. Now we can't. Not yeah, now you can't because you really don't have an alternative, unfortunately. So the, he's just got to kind of sit with it. Uh, but you know, this is something we're not really used to. So you know, two, two and two <clears throat> in a week. You know, five hundred. I guess is about what we can expect from this team. I don't think you know this. Uh, this hot start they went on, they, you know, they started with, you can't really expect that to, to, to maintain with the amount of shots and stuff they're giving up. So, you know, if they just kind of 500, maybe slightly over the rest of the season, that's kind of what I would expect out of this team. So it's just a game, man. <laughs> well, I mean, last night they outshot Anaheim. Um, they, uh, you know, they got some scoring from, you know, uh, someone other than, uh, Kane to Brinkett and Taves and, Sodder. uh, yeah, you know, so those, those are encouraging signs. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to see some more games like that. So I, then I'll start to believe more in this team, but, um, up to, up until the Anaheim game last night, I mean, it was all, um, Kane, Taves and to or bust or nothing. Um, and, um, you know, they they uh they were relying so much and then three on three overtime that was the other thing they were they were really relying on and uh you know the the Anaheim win was solid and solid in in ways that that it hasn't been this year so uh, I'm going to take that as an encouraging sign um we'll and we'll see how you know see if they can maintain that kind of play going forward yeah that Ducks game that you mentioned they won they won three one Sod had two goals one of them you know at the end that was the empty netter right yeah. 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 And uh, but he had a power play goal, which is nice. Uh, it's good to see. And Kane hit another goal, so Sod's starting to heat up a little bit. He actually led all Blackhawks with seven shots on net, so that's kind of an indication that maybe it wasn't just you know all just circumstance that he scored. He was actually asserting himself. But then you go back. I like to- him with Anisimov and not with Schmaltz. Yeah, when he was with, with Schmaltz and Kane, I suspect that one of the things that was working against him was that he he had to be like the sole puck retrieval guy and really the, the guy around the net. And it wasn't really freeing him up to be a creative player and to use his speed quite as much. Um, you know, whereas with Anisimov, he's going to do a lot of that work and that kind of frees Sod up. And um, I, so I think that was a smart little move there by Quenville to get him with Anisimov. Yeah, I, I like that, too. Um I kind of mentioned a little bit further down that like uh, Schmaltz is dropping down the lineup because first he went to, you know, playing left wing uh, on the Kane line. And then now he last game, he played third line right wing. Uh, he just seems yeah. to be sliding down the lineup. And now he, he did get a goal in that lightning game. But again, I think it was kind of almost like a garbage goal at the end because of the fact that uh, the Blackhawks were down six to two or something at that point and or five to two and, and 
I think the Lightning kind of just let, they were playing the second night of a back-to-back. I think they, maybe they just let their foot off the gas more than the Blackhawks really, you know, decided to show up in the third period after, you know, uh, giving up 33 shots in the second. So, well, Schmaltz has all kinds all kinds of talent. I think it's a question of finding you know what is his best position, and then you know getting him to uh, you know give maximum effort in in you know situations more physical game situations because he tends to uh, sort of disappear <laughs> at yeah. those moments. Yeah, but you know, and and we tried to kind of bring this up before the game. Um, the Ducks give up a lot of shots. More shots than the Blackhawks. They're actually like the yeah, the, that's the, right. The one team in the league that gives up more shots on net a game than the Blackhawks, and, and on, to, on top of that, they um, pretty much take the least amount of shots, or well, they're one of the teams that takes the least amount of shots in the league. So when you look at it, you know, from a statistical standpoint, um, this is a game where the Blackhawks could you know take advantage of that. That they 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 have a a very porous defense. And uh, the only difference is, is that they they started out the season with their number one goalie, John Gibson, just red hot. And he's basically, you know, an, a 950 almost save percentage or 945, which is that's not sustainable. It, it's never going to be sustainable. But for now, that's what he's doing. And he's kind of holding them in games and they've got a lot of people on injured reserve. And so, <clears throat> yeah, that's. You know, take it for what it is, but take it with a grain of salt as well. Do you have any uh, observations, uh, Mark? Uh, no, I I just really I really enjoyed seeing Saad, uh the way he played uh, last night. That was pretty, pretty, probably the best game he's played in months, probably since last, early last season. And he just looked aggressive. He looked mean in front of the net when he scored that uh, power play goal. Like, I mean, it, he he made that play. I mean, he tipped it. He tried to put in a second shot, got stopped, and then he put it in a, basically the third attempt. And just the whole game, he looked like he was really in tune with everything was going on. And with Patrick Kane, like I think I tweeted yesterday, like you know Patrick Kane can make anybody look good. We all know that, you know John. I know you've said that to me before, but I just feel like Saad is is a great fit with Kane. And like you guys said, it's just a matter of finding that right center with him. And Anisimov, you know I've. I'm not a fan of Anisimov. Like I'm not like a fanboy, but I've always been like behind him. I, I like what he does. Might be a little bit overpaid, but I think he serves a great purpose with the Blackhawks being a bigger, not a huge body, a bigger body that will do some dirty work for Kane and get Kane Kane available. Yeah, he's one of those guys that like you know what you're gonna get out of him. Like he's not fast. You know this. Like he's never gonna be fast. You know what he's gonna be able to do in front of the net. You can kind of you know what to expect out of him. It's not like, hey, one game we don't know what he's going to be, and the next game we don't know what he's going to be. He's got to be with some skilled players to succeed. He plays best with Patrick Kane. That's just a fact. And uh, so why not put him with the guy that he produces with best? And uh, it seems you know to be working out a little better. So, <clears throat> so. Um, that leads us to kind of the stats segment here that we've been kind of doing the last couple of podcasts. Basically, Hawks 5-2-2 two, and two with 12 points, fourth in the Central. Uh, they're 22nd in the league in faceoffs, 21st in the lead in the, P- in the PK, 26th in the power play. I know their PK um, went up a couple slots. Their PK has been a little better lately. I think they climbed like four slots this week. Uh, goals for their third in the league, which is real good. 
Uh, goals against, they're 29th in the league, which is really bad. And uh, shots faced per game, they're at, they're at 27th in the league, which is, again, not good. So some good in the offensive side of the rink, but uh, that's only like basically five on five goals for. <laughs> and so the rest. You take, you know, go, ahead. go ahead. I mean, go ahead. <clears throat> no, I'm done. Go ahead. If you take all those statistics together, um, and then you look at the five, two and two record, it's again, there, <laughs> one of these doesn't fit. And, um, I, th- I think it's, it's safe to say that the Hawks are somewhat lucky to be at five, two and two at this point in light of the underlying fundamental statistics. Um, and again, I think, you know, again, uh, big, hot, hot, hot starts by Tazen to Brinkett, especially Kane somewhat, and then a lot of three-on-three overtime, which historically the last few years has been the Hawks have made hay in three-on-three. In three three. Yeah, well, and and I think a lot of that, too, is like they have really good top-end guys like Kane and, and uh, right. you know, Keith. Really good top-end guys. There's like a handful of them. And when you open up the ice and there's no one in their way, they work real well right. together. When you yep. add, you know, four other players on the ice – that kind of mucks it up a little bit. They can't use their speed. They don't have enough room. They don't have a lot of room to work when they have a lot of room to work. They're magical, but you just putting like basically pylons out there in their way for them, you know, for the puck to hit or for, you know, to be in the way for a pass or whatever. So, um, I, th- I yeah, think, I mean, three on three, is. there's like maybe four or five guys that I would, you know, consider having <laughs> instead of Kane, you know, McDavid, Austin Matthews, um, you know, uh, Crosby, you know, maybe, you know, maybe OV, somebody like that. I mean, I mean, so, so just right there, the Hawks have a huge advantage in three on three with Kane. Um, and then you got Jonathan Taves, who's a face-off machine and a pretty, a pretty good player, especially this year. Um, and Duncan Keith, I mean, right there, there's your top three. I mean, Keith is, you know, a guy who can drive the puck up the ice and, and, uh, and can get back too. So, I mean, they're, they are they are a good three on three team. Unfortunately, three on three can only get you near the playoffs or in the playoffs. It cannot win you playoff games, and we that's we've seen over the last three years as well. Yeah, it's fun to watch, but it's not something that really they can use uh, to you know to their advantage for the rest of the season. You can't expect to be winning a bunch of games three on three in overtime. Well, uh, for the rest of the season. I mean, even if you do, once you get to the playoffs, it's it's irrelevant. So, um, you know, it, it it showed a couple years ago when they did that. They won a bunch, you know, some overtime, some shootout games, and some one-goal games. Their record was inflated. They went into the playoffs all high, you know, with this great record and just got stomped out of Nashville. Yep. Like nobody's business, so. um. Well, going back to uh, kind of the, the points of, you know, what's happened in the past week, Corey Crawford is obviously the biggest story. Uh, he came back uh, and he didn't look like he was missing a beat, which is miraculous, honestly, because when you don't play for, you know, a couple days shy of 10 months uh, and then you just in practice uh, and, and then they throw you into a game game situation with no rehab in the minors or anything like that. Uh, I fully expected him to be extremely rusty, and he wasn't. He, he's you know every game he's been in, he's looked like the old Corey Crawford. And I I kind of like I was thinking to myself, um, self, <laughs> uh, 
no, I was thinking to myself that uh, I'm like, maybe I completely read this situation wrong or, or what here. But the more I think about it and things I listen to, like even the media is like, this is, I can't believe this. You know, Jamal Mayers was saying, this is unheard of. And, and like, no one can really, no one can really uh, explain it or no one really understands it or expected it. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the majority with this that we didn't expect Corey Crawford to step on the ice and be able to make 50 saves a night or 45 saves a night and not look uncomfortable, not give up a couple soft goals in the first couple games. Um, he's looked like he's looked really good, but again, back to our original point, you can't, I mean, the guy hasn't, again, the guy hasn't played in 10 months. He, you're now asking him to shoulder the load of all this stuff. And he may, uh, he, he may get tired. He may get worn out. He's not used to this long season because he's, he said so much time off. So, you know, expecting him and, and he wanted to play the back to backs. And I'm like, Oh boy, that's a nightmare. I don't, don't do that. But he's been hit like high a couple times. I think I've seen and, and, and doesn't seem to have any ill effects. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really good sign for the black, for Blackhawks fans, but that could mask a lot of other things that could mean that they don't go out and, and fix those things because they just look at the, at the record at the top, but without breaking everything down. So, well, I mean, look at it, look at it this way. I mean, now you've got um, nine point nine million dollars tied up in the goalie position, you know, two no movement clauses. Um, and you've got other holes, other places on the ice where you you have holes and you knew you had holes and didn't do anything about it. Um, you know, and from from what I hear, the team is not going to be inclined to go out at the trade deadline. And, and I've heard this from a source with the team. They're they're not in, not wanting to have to be in a position where they they're, they feel fan pressure to go out at the trade deadline and acquire a piece because you always have to overpay at the trade deadline if you're a buyer. Um, and the last thing the Hawks want to do where they're at right now as an organization is give up assets to gain one player and and you know for to maybe make the playoffs and if you do make it to to maybe last one round. Um, and so again, it's, it's, I mean, I just, there's a lot of fans I don't understand. I don't understand what they want. I mean, do you want a mediocre team that's a, a bubble team or gets, gets into the playoffs and last, you know, maybe two, maybe you get two, two or three home games and that's it. Um, I, I don't, we've talked about this. That's not what I, as a fan of what I want, I would rather, go the hard route and go for a hard rebuild and get back to being a great team in two, three, four, maybe three or four years from now um, versus this. Cause again, this is a team that's, that's half pregnant. They don't know. They don't really know what, where they're going or what they're doing They're They have this core of highly paid veterans um, that are still there, but what's around them. And it's, it's painfully obvious what's around them is really substandard anymore. And, you know, it just feels like to me, as long as a certain amount of fans buy into it, they're going to keep doing it. Mark, um, I'd like, yeah, I, I'd like to step in on this too, because you know, uh, John, you made the point that you know, making the playoffs, like making the playoffs, big deal. Like, right. who wants to just make the playoffs? You want to win it all. Like, if your goal in training camp as a team is just to make the playoffs, you've already lost, because the ultimate goal is always to win the Stanley Cup. You know, 
and, and you know, as far as rebuilding, like you, you have to be realistic. You know that, you know, as a team, you know, if you're a good enough team to win it all and maybe they don't feel that, but you also know that, Hey, maybe you need to ride it out for a year, maybe two years, get the right guys, and then you can compete. So it's just like, you know, yeah, I, I hate the attitude of like, Oh, but we can make the playoffs. You know, it's like I said, so what, but, uh, you know, and, and then as far as you were talking about the Blackhawks not being in a, a position or not wanting to um, go after anybody at the trade deadline because they don't want to give up assets. And I feel like that they were kind of the organization was kind of the expectation that this team wasn't going to succeed and they weren't going to have to do that. And now that the team is playing well, you know, you know, and it's only nine games in or whatever. But, you know, if they do keep playing at this OK level and they are playoff ready, they're like, shoot, you know, we really put ourselves in a bad position by playing well through the season because we didn't want to have to do this. But, you know, like you said, if you get the fan pressure, you know, your playoff bubble team, why aren't, why aren't you making any moves, Bowman? Why aren't you getting anybody, you know, and it's just wasting assets, cap money for next season when you can probably get a chance to really reload a little bit when there's, you know, good free agent market out there. But, you know, just making the playoffs for this team would probably be one of the worst things that that totally could happen. I, I would say. Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. And, and we keep hearing because the media, the, the mainstream media keeps reporting or keeps saying it, keeps repeating it over and over and over again. The fans start, the fans are now repeating it. Well, we can make the playoffs. You think they can make the playoffs. If you make the playoffs, sometimes just making the playoffs isn't a good thing. If you're the last team to make it in, you're going to get stomped in that first round. It's going to hurt your draft status. Like, for what? That doesn't do anyone any good. Making Just making the playoffs or being a team that deserves to be in the playoffs and can make a run, can win two rounds, and or if they're hot, more than that, is something that you should be more interested in, not just we can make the playoffs. You know, it, 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 this, it does go back to marketing. And... um I mean, th- this team, this team has been marketed um, almost like sort of the old Dallas Cowboys, you know, where they had they had the ring of honor, you know, and being a cowboy meant something. And the expectation was excellence year in, year out. The Hawks, through their marketing and, and through their play on the ice over the last 10 years, have have built that expectation. And I, I want to hold them to it. I'm like, yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks should be in contention for Stanley Cups. And I get it. People say, well, you know, you had your run. That's it. Now you've got to accept mediocrity. No, you don't have to accept mediocrity. Um, and, and again, I feel like it's become almost an economic thing now where in order to, to, to just get ticket sales up as much as they can and they think they're going to ride through this and, and eventually every draft pick is going to is going to you know, turn out and everything's going to be great and they'll be back on top again. I don't think it, it, it never works that way. Look at the Detroit Red Wings, you know, look at the mediocrity that they've fallen into and they did the exact same thing. They held on to the veterans from their glory years for too long. Um, you know, their, their low draft position year after year, eventually caught up with them. Um, you know, sure. You can appoint, you know, point to guys like Athanasiu and stuff like, or, uh, Larkin, but the reality of it is, um, you know, that's an organization that, that's really just slid into mediocrity. And, and I'm afraid the Hawks are going exactly the same way because 
the 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 hard tear down and rebuild that we're advocating is a very hard thing to do as an organization in terms of um, short term ticket sales as well as um, uh, just you know corporate money, fan loyalty, et cetera. But ultimately, I mean, I you know like you guys, I followed this team my whole life, and it's a it's a long time, longer than I care to admit in a public forum. But um, you know, I've, so I've been through the lean years and I'm, I'm fine to have two or three really bad years in order to, to get some great players in here through the draft primarily. Cause I, Pap, I'm with you on the, um, on, on free agency next year. And I think that they could potentially land a, a really good player in that, you know, can become a building block, a good young player. Um, but at the same time, the price is going to be really high free agency, unrestricted free agency for top players it's always a, a really, really high price. And ultimately, I think what the Hawks need to do to really rebuild is to, to get some really good young players through the draft um, and, or, and or possibly a trade of a veteran where you could where say at will the trade stand, deadline. man. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's all good. So you so say at the deadline, which is a seller's market, you know, um, maybe you can get a really good young prospect out of somebody with a lot of promise that could, again, be another one of those pieces that you build around going forward. Um, I, I, to, to me, that, that's, that's what it's going to take. And I'm afraid that this organization, that's, that's the last thing that they want to do, that they just don't have the, the what, what I, would, I guess what I would call the organizational courage to do it. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're stuck in a weird position. Um, but they have to they they have to decide and they have to figure out where they want to go, and uh, if you're going to let the fans dictate that with some kind of false naive thought process, then you're probably not taking the right path. You have to do what's smart, long term. You know, run it like a business, and uh, you want to get back to like you like I said or like you said. Uh, Build it, build it back up into something that's strong and not uh, some kind of sham with a bunch of, you know, or a, a handful of top-end players that can put on a show, but nothing behind it. So, speaking of top-end players, I just saw that the uh, the Ice Hogs are up 3 nothing. There you go. Yeah. Edsel, Samuelson, and maybe Highmore. And all in the second period of scored goals. So, <clears throat> well... After the Corey Crawford stuff uh, and all this other talk, um, they hung on to Anton Forsberg just long enough to figure out, hey, Corey looks like he's fine. We don't need this Forsberg bum anymore. So they threw him on waivers to send him down to Rockford. He cleared waivers, got sent down. Uh, In his place, they brought Luke Johnson back. Uh, We could probably expect more goalie moves to happen uh, organizationally, not necessarily in the NHL because there's nothing they can do. Yeah. the Blackhawks can't really do anything with Cam Ward or Corey Crawford. So um, we have Colin Delia. Well, let me let me ask you a question. You uh-huh. ask both of you guys a question. So let's say Crawford plays well, um, continues playing really well, lights out the next twenty five games, and um, but the team, yeah, you know, I mean, it's they're pretty much going five hundred because of the other flaws that they have, and some team like say Pittsburgh or. Um, Washington, let's say Holpe goes down. 
and some some GM comes to Bowman and says, "Look, we we you know we're gonna we're willing to pay dearly to get Corey Crawford." Um, is that something that Stan Bowman looks at if he if he gets the right price, knowing that the Hawks are not going to the Cup this year and they're probably not going next year? When and by that time, Crawford's going to be close to thirty six years old. I'll discuss. Yeah, actually, I think that's a really good idea. Um, you know, get what you can out of him because you weren't going to get anything out of him before because he was injured, certainly during the summer or anything like that. Now that he's going to have some value and maybe someone could overpay for him, you might be able to get like a, a Philip, and I'm not saying he's available because he's not, clearly, but like a Philip Grubauer kind of thing uh, last year or something like that. You could, you might be able to get a, a nice piece for a Corey Crawford for a team that may that is desperate to have a starting goalie and not just have like a 1A 1B kind of guy trying to carry him through the playoffs. So, uh, what do you think, Pappy? Oh, that's a really tough one. Um, cuz I mean like Corey Crawford it, it, like, you know, it, it's amazing how uh, absence uh, makes the heart grow fonder. You know, a year ago people were like, "Oh, we should have kept Scott Darling and got rid of Crawford <laughs> somehow." But, uh, you know, now everybody has realized how silly that that is. But, you know, Corey Crawford's only making six million dollars a year. It's like he like for basically an elite goaltender. And, and I would consider him that like they're not really paying much for him. So, I mean, it's kind of do you want to rather keep his contract and hope that he can play for three, four more years, which, like you said, he'll be 36 ish in two more years. Um, yeah, I think you'd have to consider bringing in a load of uh, possible prospects to, you know, in return for them. If you, if you are truly looking to the future, but I just don't think that they don't have anybody in the system right now that can really be really, you know, or has been said to be a prospect like that. So that's kind of, kind of a scary point. It's like you'd bring in the prospects that could help you, but you'd also be losing that elite goaltender but I mean, I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, a, t- a team that has clearly has big defensive shortcomings, uh, that really struggles with with secondary scoring, um, has a dreadful power play. Um, I guess you know the the question I would ask is, um, you know, what why do you need an elite goaltender if you really should be undergoing a, a thorough rebuild when you're when your elite goaltender probably is it, chances are is not going to be around in three years when you're hoping to be back in in contention i mean we're also talking a guy with a hit with a bad history of con- concussions um the other thing is he hits his contract is up in in 2021 which isn't that far off that's that's season after next um True. so um and here's the thing Again, it's, this is a lot of speculation, and I and I, I say this because I, I think we could have the same conversation about Duncan Keith at the trade deadline, and and possibly one or two other high high price talk veterans, um, who you know a, a team that's really looking for that extra piece that's really a legitimate cup contender would would go after. Um, you know, I think for if Crawford, like I said, if he was like really healthy between now and February, no signs of, of concussion, still playing at a very high level, but clearly the Hawks are probably not going to be a playoff team. I think I think the price for him at the at the trade deadline would be a first-round pick, a really good young player, and a really good prospect. 
And for a team like the Hawks that really needs those kinds of assets to, to truly rebuild, as opposed to us sitting here debating how good Alex Fortin is, um, you know, I, 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 to me, if you're serious about rebuilding, that's something that you got to look really hard at. And the important and again, part could be Keith, could be somebody else too. It doesn't have to be Crawford. Yeah. Well, the important part too is, um, at least with Corey Crawford, like he's only going to have one more year left on his contract. And then you're going to have to decide, are you going to sign 35-year-old Corey Crawford? You're not going to sign him for $6 million a year. I mean, you're not going to overpay for him. Uh, the best you could do is like a two-year deal or something like that. <coughs> uh, do you want to really have a 36-, 37-year-old goalie by the time your your uh, your young guys like Yoki Haru and right. Bochrist and all that are coming around? Or do you want to suck it up and be like, you know what? We, we, we had a guy with value. That we were gonna, you know, probably isn't gonna be here anyway, and well, we use that value to our advantage. And, uh, no, yeah. he, he's actually, yeah, he's UFA. I can't tell. Let's see, it was a six-year deal. I'm looking um, at it right now. Yeah, he's he signed for this year, years. next year, and then he's a free agent. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you guys. Yeah, that that you'd probably have to really consider that, you know, obviously weigh weigh the return on that for Crawford. Yeah, and I'm not in that that's none of us saying anything bad about Corey Crawford because not I, at all. I I love Crawford. I think we all love Crawford. But uh at this point in time, uh you know, you had a goalie who had no value probably I don't know, 2 months ago. Right? <laughs> probably had zero value and now he's his value is only going up. Well, as he's playing well. Now, if it continues to go up, that'd be even better. So you might want to cash out on the uh, high end of that and, and just, uh, you know, ride Cam Ward out for the rest of the year or and try, just, to, try to develop yeah, Anton and, Forsberg or something. I don't know. I, th- I, I don't know. I think that, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to add assets, add really, you know, young assets and picks, it's from that, that you find that goaltender of the future. Um, I don't know at this point. Uh, if, if Forsberg's had such a job done in his head. I don't know if he's ever going to be part of the Blackhawks' future at this point. And um, yeah, you know. But um, the the thing that's going to be interesting is is at the trade deadline. Let's say the Hawks are somewhere between, you know, um, you know, wild card position and you know a couple of games out of wild card position. Stan Bo- Stan Bowman and the organization are going to be. They're, they're going to be in a vice because they are they are probably going to have teams looking at them and, and asking about guys like Keith or Crawford or maybe even some of the bigger names as well. Um, you know, knowing that they're that the Hawks really are in a stealthy rebuilding mode. And, you know, at the same time, Bowman's going to have the meathead fans pushing to go out and get that one player that's going to put them over the top. And, uh, boy, it's going to be really interesting to see how they play that. Or probably what they'll do is they'll just do nothing. It's just a game, <laughs> Like they did this man. past summer. Yeah. <laughs> You're being very on dude. Oh, You're being very on dude. You ruin everything. <laughs> you ruin everything. Yeah. It's, it, it's a good thing to, to talk about. I think, I think it's more of a possibility right now than uh, Duncan Keith, but just because a, uh, Duncan Keith has that, that long contract that uh, basically they're paying him right. nothing. But with it, the recapture penalty at the end too, yeah, that that is the thing about Keith that makes him a, a little less tradable, maybe. But I don't know. There's there are ways to get around those things in in terms of you know agreements that you make with players, et cetera. But yeah. uh, with 
in Keith's case, it's a little harder. I agree. Yeah, and, and Keith's two years older, um, and he signed a lot longer. So, you know, there's the complexity of that as well that you can add into there. I mean, we're not going to get into the, all the math, but uh, right. it could be a little more complex to get a Duncan Keith out of Chicago, and not that he needs to go because he sucks. He's just, you know, getting older, and, and you got to look at the numbers, and you got to you gotta, gotta crunch that. Because, so. you know, conversely – um, Seabrook, I, I don't think anybody's going to take his contract on. No, no I mean, that's like, it's like, that's like Hawks would have to give something away in order for somebody to take Seabrook's contract. No, you know, they, so that makes no sense. No, I, I think that's going to be one of the kind of, kind of like an amnesty thing with the next CBA. That's what I honestly yeah. think is the only way that Brent Seabrook goes away before his contract ends. Either that yeah. or, or an injury, you know, a long-term injury. So. Anyway, you know, this could be a a, a lot more uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know, (laughs) come on, man. Yeah, man. Very undude like man. Oh, okay. So we talked about that. Um, we kind of got back on the Crawford thing, but there's going to be some movement with the goalies in the, in the system right now. Colin Delia seems to still have a foothold on the starting position in Rockford, which is good to see because uh, I was really afraid that he was going to kind of get screwed. They were going to just forcibly put Anton Forsberg in there and Delia just played really well lately. Uh, I think he needs to continue to grow, continue to get playing time. I don't think he needs to sit there as a backup because I had this conversation with Mark from the Sinbin uh, on Twitter and it's like, Anton Forsberg moving down screws everybody underneath him. Delia goes to backup. He gets less playing time. Lankanen goes down to Indy. He's going to get more playing time, but he's going to Indy. That's not as good of development as if you're playing in Rockford. Then the guys like Tompkins, who was a starter in Indy, moves down to backup, and he's getting less playing time. He was just like the goaltender of the week or something in the ACHL. And then under that, there's two other goalies, which the Hawks don't really care about, but... They have two other goalies on that team. One of them lost his job. They, they had to trade him because of this stuff. And, um, you know, it, it's like a cascading effect down the system where it's affecting the rest of your goalies and their development by having Forsberg just there. It's like they don't even want to play him. They didn't play him in the beginning of the season uh, when they had a back-to-back, and you got 34-year-old Cam Ward in there. He's playing back-to-backs while you have, what, 26-year-old Anton Forsberg should be should be good enough to play, right? He's supposed to be at least an NHL backup. They didn't put him in there. He didn't get a single game. He was healthy scratched when Crawford came back, and he's been healthy scratched. Now he's down in Rockford. Are they going to play him there? Are they not going to play him there? Or is he going to do the, like as Mario said uh, in our private chat, is he going to be the next GF Barube who just disappears? Well, and here's let's let's go back a little bit. Let's go back a, a year and a month. Anton Forsberg was started last year as Corey Crawford's backup. And I think the idea was that, that they had gotten a good young goalie from, from Columbus as part of the, the Panarin trade who had just, who had just come off winning the Calder cup, um, you know, with the uh, Lake Erie monsters. And, um, you know, I think they felt like this was a guy that they could groom, that he was, that Forsberg would be capable to back up Crawford. Um, you know, he looked good in the preseason, um, and so, so there you were now because of this cam ward thing, 
um, they were forced to get rid of Forsberg. They were forced to, to waive him. And um, now you're stuck with Ward, who's there's no future in him. Um, what are you going to do with Ward after this year? Are you going to re-sign him for $3 million a year? Oh, that's Maybe, not happening. I guess. He's I don't know. Back. You can't so, do I that. I mean, it's just the whole thing, this whole thing with Ward, It was to me, it was kind of ill-conceived. Um, I think that they thought that Crawford wasn't coming back. They had to be. They had to get somebody who was just good enough to hold down the net. Um, and they, they're now they're kind of in a really bad position. Yeah. Well, they're they've got. It's kind of like the defense that if they have, uh, you know, some top end guy like debatable top end with Keith and, um, but then you've got like a bunch of fives and sixes. And that's kind of how the goaltending situation is here. You've got Corey Crawford and you've got a bunch of fives and sixes in the system. Like who are you going to develop? And if you're going to develop them, then develop them. Don't have them sitting on the bench. Don't have them playing backup in Rockford. Like I, I, I commented today that it's nice to see Jeremy Colleton sticking with his guy in Rockford. He's got, you know, Delia's even though he's got Forsberg there, he started Delia tonight and it seems to be paying off for him. They're up what three, nothing right now. And Delia has been really hot lately. So uh, I like that Colleton's sticking with that, but that's not to say that John McDonough or Stan Bowman doesn't call him out tomorrow and say, Hey, listen, I need you to play Anton Forsberg for the next five games because we need to up his trade value or whatever, whatever they were, they're going to do with him, whether it's up trade value or develop him. And then Colin D gets screwed and he's playing one out of the next five games. And what are you going to do with him? I mean, you, you need to develop him. He's like at an age where you need to develop him. Either he's going to possibly be something you could use in the, you know, if he's going to be a starter in, in, in the AHL, he's probably something you want to develop to be at least a backup in the NHL. Otherwise you're wasting your time. So, yeah. Uh, you know, in Lincoln and two, I'm like, I, I don't think that they brought Kevin Lincoln in over here to play in Indy, nothing against Indy. I have no problem with Indy. Indy is what they are. They're a developmental league that, you know, the guys who kind of fall off in Rockford end up in the ECHL and they, you don't get a ton of guys that go from the ECHL to the NHL, but you do get a couple. Sure. It happens. They, they do, they do develop some players. I mean, uh, there was a thing going back and forth this week about uh, people going from the ECHL to the NHL eventually. And I, I'm going off of memory here, but I'm 99% sure that Carter Hutton was an ECHL guy when the Blackhawks had him and made it all the way basically to NHL backup. And now he's an NHL starter in, in Buffalo. Uh, Hutton had, had kind of bounced around the AHL before he signed with the Hawks, I think. Yeah, but I think he was, I thought he was with Toledo, the, uh, Toledo walleye, oh, walleye. yeah i'd have to look that um, up because it was a couple he may of years have, ago. you know what he may he may have been there for a while too i mean he was a he was kind of a journeyman minor league goalie yeah. before he, he kind of you know that's that's a classic story of goalies because that's the other thing about about um forsberg is and i mentioned this on a, on a previous ringcast it it probably won't turn out this way but i just remember when the hawks released Craig Anderson back, I think it was like 2005 and, um, for like two or three other teams signed him and released him. The Hawks signed him back. Then they released him again and eventually ended up in Florida. And, you know, he's, he's, he worked himself into being a very good NHL goaltender. And, um, you know, I, I worried a little bit that that would, you know, somebody would, would claim, uh, Forsberg on waivers and that story would play out again, you know? Um, but you know, who knows, probably not, but, uh, 
I mean, that's the thing with goalies, especially, you know, big goalies with, with, you know, good athleticism. If they work at it, they can, they can become better over time. Yeah. Yeah. And you could, you could have a, you know, a 26 year old rookie goaltender and that's not out of sorts. You see a 26 year old rookie defenseman, like (laughs) that's another story. You think of him a lot differently. So, uh, yeah, I, I was not to pat myself on the back or anything or humble brag, but I was right. Uh, 2010 or 2011-12, uh, Carter Hutton was with the Toledo Walleye for 14 games. And that was after uh, the two previous years. He kind of played a handful of games in the AHL for Adirondack and uh, Worcester, Worcester, whatever. Worcester. Easier for me to say, yeah. And then uh, he kind of became a hero at Rockford, backed up uh, like a game or two in Chicago. Then we know where he went from there, St. Louis. And, and now he's starting in Buffalo, so. But he's 33, and he got his NHL break. Really, he played his first NHL game at 27, and then he backed up in Nashville. He was 28 years old when he really started his NHL career. So, Right. Anyway, Pappy, you got anything else you want to add on that? No, you okay. guys nailed it. Cool. Cool. All right, well, we'll get off the goalies a little bit. That was just kind of my little rant on the goalies. Uh, Gustav Forsling was sent down to Rockford to rehab his uh, injured wrist, which is only going to muck things up even more. Just like the goalies got mucked up, you're going to now have Gustav Forsling uh, that you're going to have to figure out what to do with. Is he going to play in Rockford? Is he going to take you know time away from these young kids that are uh, you know building up their confidence, getting a lot of power play time or whatever? And uh, or is he going to play in the NHL? And then what do you do? Because you've already got seven defensemen. So, uh, are, Gabe, do we are we going to talk about that Murphy question in the questions tonight? Yes, yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay, then I'll hold off on that. Yeah. So that uh, I, I just wanted to bring that up because I had it in the notes. Uh, Schmaltz dropping down the lineup. We kind of talked about that a little bit. I mean, he he's 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 a guy without a place right now, but it's kind of showing that we were we were right <laughs> that, you know, he's not really necessarily a, a, a number two center in the NHL right now. And he was kind of uh, put in a play, put in a position where, you know, he, he can't win face off. So why put why him at center? Why don't I have him at wing? If he's going to be, a, you know, a really an offensive force that's, you know, barely well, adequate you know, on the defense. The center is supposed to play the, yeah. the, the long try the, excuse me, the long uh, rectangle, uh, you know, between the nets um, that's sort of his his area in the ice, and I I just I <laughs> I don't see Schmaltz often parked in front of the opponent's net. Um, he seems like a player is a lot more comfortable on the perimeter. He also has great speed, um, so I think that they've you know that they're looking at that and saying, okay, well maybe he's a wing um, because he's also really awful at faceoffs. So, um, but you know he sort of has that play that playmaker's mentality and vision too. So. I mean, I think, again, they're still looking for a position for him. And um, I don't know, you know, and here's the here's the guy who, you know, Stan Bowman was talking about not doing anything this summer so he could give him a big payday this summer. There's I, our GM. Yeah. At this point in time, it's going to be Alex DeBrink. It's going to get the payday and Schmaltz is going to get yeah. less of a payday because he's playing himself yeah. out of a contract or, you know, a and better contract. The break it should. Yeah. He's earning it now. Right. Yep. As much as it pains me to, <laughs> I love, I love giving the fans crap because they just oh he hates to break it. I don't hate to break it. I don't hate him. Uh, 
so anyway, the Schmalt, you got, uh, Mark, you got any observations on what you're seeing out of Schmaltz? I mean, you're, yeah, you're a rink uh, rat. Schmaltz so. seems really gun shy when it comes to shooting the puck. And I just like, you know, I, uh, um, uh, Double J said, you know, he's kind of looks like kind of a playmaker out there. And I just, I think he's afraid to shoot. I don't know why anybody would ever be afraid to shoot. But, you know, he gets a puck on a stick, you know, he dusts it off a little bit before he decides he's going to do something with it. And it's just like, I just don't see anything aggressive out of him at all. You know, I'm not saying he's to go out there and try to be an agitator or do anything like that. But I just don't see him playing with any confidence, really. And I think a lot of that, you know, has to do with him moving around and not really having a position. But he's got to make himself a position. If you're going to be valuable to a team, you have to succeed or try to succeed wherever you're put. He's uh, to me. And I said this a couple I don't know, weeks ago, he's like, uh, and all of you Twitter people out there are going to understand this, this reference, but the smoking Jay Cutler, that's what Schmaltz reminds me of. Like he never looks I like totally he's serious. Agree. He never looks like he cares. He's always got that look on his face, like, oh, whatever. He doesn't seem like there's any urgency to his game. Or he literally looks like he's scared you know whatless. Yeah. He does. <laughs> he looks like a deer in the headlights sometimes. I mean, we, we need to start an account on Twitter, the uh, smoking Nick Schmaltz, and uh, just like smoking Jay Cutler. Because that's the, he just looks like he doesn't care. He just looks, you know, like he's, he looks like he has a shitty attitude. I don't know. But uh, they, they need to figure out where he needs to go um, and uh, where he can succeed at the best and uh, get some use out of him or get rid of him. Otherwise, him just being thrown around the lineup with no home and not finding anything, you might as well get some, uh, you know, get something back for him if you can, uh, if you're not going to, you know, if he's not that center. And, and at the beginning of the year, you know, it was first line center of the future. What out of I next? never bought that. I never no, bought that. No, no. Most people most people with a little bit of uh hockey knowledge didn't think that either, but unfortunately that's what they were peddling to the fans was that he was the first line center of the future. Second maybe you know, if they if they really believe that, then this this organization's in a lot of trouble. Um again, he does have talent and he can really skate, but um, you know, the characters that made Jonathan Taves a, you know, um, a, a quality high end NHL center for the last decade. I don't see a lot of those in Nick Schmaltz, honestly. Um, you know, playing center is more than just skating fast and looking pretty on the ice. Yeah. And it, it, things that are frustrating when you're watching that game, when you're watching games is, uh, he made a play, I think it was yesterday where he took a couple of strides and came in on a breakaway pretty much, that speed was deadly. Oh, he's, yeah. The top-end yeah. deadly speed, but you don't see it a lot out of him. A lot of times it just seems kind of like he's just kind of dicking around, noodling around, waiting for people to catch up, look, you know, head up, looking around, playing point guard, and he's not asserting himself where he could be taking that, using that speed, and the Blackhawks don't have a ton of it. They have some. You know, Fortin's shown he's got some speed, but the Blackhawks don't have a ton of, yeah, a ton of speed. Schmaltz could be using that speed, you know, and just be like, you know what? Screw it. If I'm going to play wing, I'm just going to be a blazer down that wing. I'll right. be, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, Victor Stahlberg that can score. Like, That's I, why he might be better on the wing ultimately. Yeah. If, if you're going to do it, like, just accept it 
Use what you have. Use your natural skill to get down that ice faster than anybody to get yourself a bunch of breakaways. It's not hard to do, man. It really isn't. To just so when you've got that kind of speed, I mean, you can do that. And, um, you know, him and Fort and both, I mean, it's kind of exciting to watch them using their speed to create those opportunities. Um, you know, again, so maybe and maybe that's that becomes, you know, where, where Schmaltz really settles in and becomes a, a real difference maker, which for the Hawks sake, I hope he does. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a, anyone who's been on a rink and played a game. You get, you know, you play against that one guy who's got speed and you can't touch oh. him. And you can't yeah. touch him. And the ice opens the ice opens up so much and it forces the other team to play back in their heels a lot. You know it was funny. I was and I, I sort of got into this a little bit with our buddy Forklift on um no, it was Al on um Al Samagli on, on Twitter today. Um oh, you know, when you watch Fortin at ice level, he's really good at getting behind opposing defensemen and when they played the um the the exhibition game in Columbus he got about 15 feet behind um, Seth Jones at one point, and Jones was about to jump up into the play. And he turns, looks over his shoulder, and he sees Fortin back there, and he had to stop and come back and cover him. Um, and you know that kind of speed creates those kinds of kinds of issues on the ice. I mean, I remember when I played with guys who were really, really fast. The ice was wide open. It was like the Red Sea. You know, really, everyone is thinking about it in their head. They've got it. You know, there's things like, oh, this guy shoots hard. Well, you know what? You could block shots. Uh, there's things you can do to alleviate that, but it's really hard with natural speed. I mean, you could yep. give him a bigger cushion. Maybe will that help? Maybe not. Maybe his feet just move faster than you and he's still going to wheel around you. Uh, it, it, speed is that one that one killer in, in this, you know, because it's it's natural and you can't really necessarily make up for that speed that's why i like like you know dylan larkin i really love andreas athanasiu because i like his speed a lot like that speed is frightening guys the defensemen their eyes are like dinner plates when you see a guy that you know can blaze around you like that it's it's always been that way you know yeah pavel bure paul korea i mean just you know those guys have always been difference makers because of that speed. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a really good thing. The, the Hawks have, the Hawks have, you know, three or four wings who they have three who can really fly. And then they, they have, you know, another one, Kane is not slow by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so they're really stacked there. I, again, it comes back to center and defense where the, where the team is, I think pretty weak after Jonathan Taves and, you yeah. know, maybe Duncan Keith. Yeah. And Yoki, how are you? <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's, that gets us kind of. We talk about a little bit of Alex Fortin, uh, John. That's your boy, right? Huh? Uh, you uh, <laughs> a bunch of people jumping on the Alex Fortin for the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, train, huh? Yeah, you know, and it's it's uh, yeah. Um, there were the there were the, you and I both gave a couple of years ago. I mean, we he was our guy in camp, um, and he was a young guy who came out of nowhere, undrafted, um, came out of the uh, QM QMJHL, yeah. QM, QMJHL. I always get the J and the M backwards. Yeah. Um, and um, there he was, and you know he was he was a revelation. And he almost made the Hawks out of camp. Um, then he gets hurt last year, has kind of a mediocre year. And then he just gets written off by everybody. Comes back this year into camp. He has a great camp, um, and you know he gets sent down. And then everybody's like, "Well, he sucks. He's, we'll never see him again." And now he's back. And then they say, "Well, it's just one game. It'll be the thirteenth forward," and he's still around. 
And I, th- I think the reason he's still around is because of the things he can do with his speed. He's, he's a really aggressive forechecker. He generates turnovers. And I think those are all things that Quenville likes. Um, and the finish that some people are not seeing in his game, I think he'll get that as he gets used to NHL speed. And, you know, understanding when you're playing with Patrick Kane, you better keep your stick on the ice. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just stuff like that that he, that he can learn. I don't – and I've never had the illusion that, he, that he's necessarily – um, going to be a top six forward. I think he's one of those guys who you know could be a really effective third line forward, mm-hmm. and you could maybe spot elsewhere if if he can stick around and 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 you know make him establish himself as an NHL player. Um, but it's just so funny the way now he's had a couple of good games and suddenly there's people out there writing stuff that like he's this this great player that you're gonna see around the stadium for the next 15 years. And I don't know, I like the guy a lot, but I it's and and then. <laughs> You know, so and so is saying that you know he's 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 always loved Fort. He's loved Fort for years, and it's just come on. <laughs> You're being very on, dude. <laughs> it's just a game, man. It's just a game, man. Just yeah. a game, man. Yeah, uh, Fortin. I mean, I kind of wrote him off last year. I mean, he had a badly bad. He, he just had a bad year in Rockford. He didn't get to play a lot. He was hurt. He kind of got forgotten about. And uh, I, I think a lot of people just completely forgot he was in the system this year he came out healthy and a couple things that i really noticed in 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 like uh prospect camp is he's the opposite of what mark was saying about uh sot or uh schmaltz i mean uh where schmaltz is kind of like he's always looking for like to get rid of the puck to dish the puck to not shoot fortin is a guy like he has the puck on a stick he wants to shoot that's what he wants to do he's like you know I'm not saying he's this quality of player, but like Patrick Sharp, like Patrick Sharp wanted to shoot. He was shooter for a reason. They called him shooter for a reason. He liked to shoot. Fortin likes to wheel and shoot. He likes to blaze with the breakaway. He likes to use his speed and he likes to shoot. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, man. If he, if he embraces that and uses it where he can, there's so many people in the NHL that have made careers out of just having one or two real good skill sets that they were able to work on and use that yeah. night in and night out. They didn't have to be the biggest guys. They didn't have to be, you know, shoot the hardest. But if they have the willingness and the confidence to shoot that puck and they have some speed, like you can make yourself an NHL career. And it doesn't have to be yeah. it doesn't have to be on, on, on the on the, the, the left wing of uh, Jonathan Taves. It can right. be third line. You can make a third line living for, you know, 10 years if 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 you continue. But, you know, it, it's possible. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way with that. I like I liked what I saw out of Fortin in camp, and he's continued to do that all along, which is what he did two years ago, too. He looked good in prospect camp. He looked good in regular uh, training camp, and he looked good, almost good enough to make the team uh, two years ago. So uh, he's been pretty consistent when he when he's been healthy, so. Uh, Mark, you got any uh, Fortin bits? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think you hit on it with uh, the like. It's kind of the opposite of Schmaltz, and you know, Schmaltz should uh, pay attention to Fortin because he's passing him up in the lines, and he's doing what Schmaltz should be doing. So, I mean, it seems like uh, Q's letting guys be a little more free this year, and he's not have doesn't have the reins on the younger guys like he had had in years past. Like, you know, Fortin's playing, moving up the ranks. Yoka Haru, he's, you know, I mean, he's had a few bad plays, but he's really letting get out there and just play. And I think that's, uh, you know, indicative that 
they need these guys to grow. So they need to let them play a little bit. They're going to make mistakes. And, you know, you guys have touched on that before. It's, uh, it's kind of refreshing to see these guys getting out there and just trying to do their thing and doing their thing yeah. and succeeding. Uh, before we jump off on the Yoki Haru, cause I thought he had a rough game against Tampa, probably mm-hmm. his first rough regular season game um, so far. But the other thing about Ford, one last thing is I, I you know, he's he's kind of got a funny skating style he's sort of bent over and he, he almost looks awkward in, in his stride but you know and so you don't expect it but man he is really fast i mean i see him just blow by guys i don't know about you guys yeah he's kind of hunched over a little bit yeah he's, he's like a raptor <laughs> he's kind of hunched <laughs> over but he can wheel i mean it, I, the thing i noticed is uh is in the zone where he was kind of uh, wheeling around the circle and he and he he'd find he'd find an opening and take a shot from the slot. Uh, he he does that real well, and and he protects yeah. the puck well for his size. And uh, you know, in the NHL, you got to have confidence, man. If you don't have confidence, that's 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 almost everything. And he's got it. He's got the confidence. So yeah, which is again the opposite of what Nick Schmaltz looks like. He has he doesn't looks like he doesn't have any confidence, or that he thinks he's Joe Thornton and he's going to pass to everybody. Uh, right. and that's really, uh, you know, that, that's quite a, uh, a level of talent to, to compare yourself to that may not be attainable. Yeah. And quite a level of douchebaggery too, but that's what well, we won't go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. Yeah. So, um, do do we really want, do we want to get into the, uh, Yoki Harbor thing or do we want to get into questions? What no, I just, it was just, I just wanted to, we yeah. hadn't mentioned it that, when we went, went over the Tampa game that he, he had a pretty rough game against Tampa. Um, yeah. You know, that was the game that we said was coming, you know, that, you know, when, again, everybody was ready to put him in the hall of fame and, you know, he's going to lead the Hawks to the cup and all that. It's like, you know, we said he's going to have some rough nights and he did in that game. Which is not to condemn him because, you know, we've, no. we've been watching Brandon Manning and Brandon Davidson and Jan Ruda and Eric Gustafson just uh, get turnstiled and spun around Yoki Haro's held his own uh, better than all those guys. But and he is, and he's also really, really good positionally and in using his stick to disrupt plays. I mean, he's really good at that. Um, yeah. and when I when I saw him in person again in Columbus this this last game, we were sitting above him. Um, we were up in the in the upper bowl, and uh, you know you could really get a good a, see him play. And I mean, he's really, really good with the stick. So I mean, he does a lot of things really, really well, and and he's only going to get better, but. I mean, a lot of people are like feeling like, you know, their their Yoki Haru campaign of the summer had been redeemed by his early start. And, and that there's a degree to which that's true. But I mean, a, a rookie defenseman in the NHL coming right out of junior, you knew he was going to have some tough games against good teams. And, and that's what happened with Tampa. And I, we talked about it a couple of week, weeks ago. It's it was a numbers game, too. Like if yeah. if Murphy and Forsling weren't hurt, like there is a. A more than decent chance that he ends up uh, in Rockford just because of the numbers game. So, not yeah, that, but not I, that he didn't play well. But I, yeah, on his worst night, I, well, maybe not that. But I mean, all things being equal, I'd, I'd actually rather have him than than Manning or Davidson or even Gustafson, honestly, because he's a he's a, he's just a better defender than all those guys, night in night out. That he is, yeah. Gustafson, I mean, he's shown. He's an offensive guy. I mean, he's he why he's looking for the he's looking to jump into the play. 
he is looking down the ice all night long. Like he, you almost can't call him a defenseman because he's looking to exactly. Go to he's like I, Nathan Dempsey 2.0. <laughs> and he does, you know, he made this, the, the, this new slap pass thing that, that everyone's now talking about that he's made it, you know, Patrick Kane, that, that, those are nice plays, man. Yeah. And Duncan Keith wasn't hitting a lot of those lately. And, you know, so credit where it's due. He's been yeah. on the on, on the power play. Like he's a good he's a good asset to have out there. Uh, he he he's another guy like we were talking about Fortson. He's confident with the puck to sometimes to his detriment, but he's yeah. very confident with the puck on his stick. He knows what he can do on the offensive side of the rink. It's on the defensive side where he kind of falls short, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a, very similar. Uh, in a lot of respects. So you got any more, uh, Mark, you want to say about Yoki Haro? No, uh, I think I said uh, what I needed to say about him or wanted to say, I should say, didn't really need to say it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Let's jump into some questions. We're about an hour in, so let's get a, let's get in some normal timing here. Uh, Evan Butler says, which is the best uh, option going forward? Sada Nisimov Kane, Schmaltz Nisimov Kane, Sad Schmaltz Kane. Fortin Schmaltz Kane. Uh, I, I think, think just yeah. leave, I, I for me, I say just leave the way it is right now. Sada Nisimov Kane. Uh, what about you, Mark? I would agree. I was going to say I think we uh, I think we kind of answered that earlier. Yeah, until it goes bad. If if it's not broke, don't fix it. John, what about you? I totally agree. I think okay. um, you know when I when I saw the the lineup posted that they were moving him uh, Sad with Anisimov, I I thought to myself. I actually said this. I think it was on Twitter that I I felt like that would be. Um, uh, maybe a nice little uh, spark for Saad where he doesn't have to be, do all that, that heavy lifting. And Anisimov will do a lot of that and free up Saad. And I think so far it's worked. Yeah. Um, he also asked best option to improve Kruger's discipline. I don't even know about that other than uh, Quedville getting in his face and screaming until he's purple. He's been taking a lot of weird penalties lately. Seems like undisciplined, but yeah, I don't know. You guys got anything to add to that? I don't know. All right, cool. Uh, he says Luke Johnson, Chicago or Rockford. Well, right now Chicago, but uh, you know they don't have many centers, and he's a center, so he kind of uh, he's kind of lucking out. Uh, that's kind of my feelings on that. There's not too much to say about Luke Johnson. He's he's okay. Uh, uh, Mario, yeah, he's a, he's he's what they have as far as a lower line center who can win faceoffs. You know, yeah. Um, our boy Mario is Brandon Saad back to his old self. I'll hang up and listen. It's just a game, man. It's just a game, man. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's certainly trending like he may, but you know, it should be one game against a team that gives up a lot of shots. It could be an anomaly. So we'll, we'll see tomorrow, right? Yep. But, uh, you know, seven you shots know, on net, uh, two goals. I, I'm, you know, it looks promising. Go ahead. The Saad and Isamov thing, just building on that a little more, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen Brandon Saad better and more productive than he was in the 2014 um, Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, playing with Patrick Kane on the right side and Andrew Shaw in the middle. And if you think about it, I mean, Shaw and Isamov are, are not that similar players, except they're both willing to do that hard work down low. And you know, free the other two guys up. And um, it, it, this, I, I have a feeling that this, um, that this new uh, line that, that Q's put together could, could actually really, really play to Saad's strengths. 
Uh, we're going to see it tomorrow. It could it could all go to hell the first period. Sure. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it's kind of funny you said that, John, because like when I saw the lines before the game the other night, I was like, Sod and Isimov Kane. And I was like, why has anybody thought of this before? Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I just thought I was like, I, I like all three of those guys. And yeah, they seem like a really good fit. So hopefully can, can yeah. continue to go well for them. Yeah, why they haven't tried it is this whole Schmaltz initiative that they're going to push him up right. the lineup and he's the, the next great center. You know, after Jonathan Taves uh, passes the baton over to him, um, that you know, that's that's the only reason why Anisimov. You know, he, he he's always played better with Kane, and that's where he's most useful. So why not put him there? But you know, uh, how do birds work? He asked a bunch of questions. Sorry, a long one here. The willingness to clear the crease by a defenseman continues to drive me crazy. Highlighted by the Bolts whack-a-mole goal the other night. Do you think it's a coaching move telling them to be passive or lead D-men like two and seven, not setting the tone and examining or, or uh, setting the tone and example for other D-men? When you guys want to well, take that? go ahead. I think that I think that. Um, you you know there's a reason that some players um and including players in the hawks don't like to go in front of the net and around the net a lot because other teams will make you pay for that um with with you know hard cross checks in the back elbows um you know what have you and no the hawks for some reason do not play that way with opposing players around their net and as a result and I'm sorry you can't have it both ways as a result, last year I don't. I, it just seemed like last year every game you would see some large forward for another team parked right in front of Forsberg or whoever was in net that night with just an, an easy, easy shot to, to score. And there was nobody between that player and the goalie. They were right on the doorstep, time after time. Um, and I, you know, I think some of it is personnel. I think you know the Hawks have either small or non-physical large defensemen for the most part, with the exception of Brett Seabrook and Connor Murphy. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, but I think some of it also is, you know, they've been taught to use their sticks more and, and positioning, engage the body less. But I, I also think that, that you really do hockey until further notice is going to be a physical game. And I don't care what some people say. Um, the physicality matters in hockey. Um, and I, I think that there, you do have to send a message at times to players around your net, especially, um, if you're going to come in here, you are going to pay a price. And if you're going to park in front of our goalie, you're going to pay a price. Um, and the Hawks don't generally make them pay. No, that's one thing. That's the one, one of the biggest things that I uh, saw as a deficiency from Anton Forsberg was that he did not deal with screens real well. And uh, he, they were allowed to screen him regularly, which was giving him fits. Um, yeah. I had a discussion in the locker room, I don't know, a while back about this, and someone was asking me about that. Why do they let them do that? And um, I kind of was explaining, I'm like, there's kind of two schools of thought with this. One is, get that defenseman in there that's that road grader and is going to clear out the front of that net. But uh, if you don't have that guy that can do that, you have two guys now fighting in front of your goalie that are now screening your goalie. And sometimes if you don't have that guy that can move someone out in front of the net, it's easier to just leave one player in front of your goalie that your goalie has to look around rather than two guys who are, who are like literally fighting each other. 
they're having a sword fight in front of your net and the goalie has to navigate that. Or you have one guy who's just kind of standing in front of you that you can kind of look over his shoulder or around him. So I think the Blackhawks have kind of been taking that, that that's their, and it shows if you watch on the ice, you don't see Duncan Keith trying to move anyone out. He's a smaller guy. He's probably not going to be able to move some 225 pound forward out and they just kind of leave him there. So I think that's what the initiative is from a, a coaching perspective, as far as, uh, um, you know, how, what they're doing there. Uh, Mark, you got anything for that? Uh, yeah, actually that, that was something I was going to ask you about. Cause like the, yeah, this has bothered me for a while with the Blackhawks not clearing out the front of the net. Cause it always seems like there's somebody parked there putting in rebounds, you know, getting away, tipping it yep. in. Um, but like I, you know, having played a little bit and, you know, not a lot of hockey, but sometimes there's goaltenders that don't like that traffic in front of the net. You know, like you were saying, you know, you would rather have two guys battling or, you know, if you don't have that guy that can just clear them out or you'd just rather say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I'd rather see the puck, you know, than, you know, you'd be trying to, you know, put two guys in front of me. So, you know, like, I really don't think that's what's going on. I really think it's uh, more of that they're just not clearing them out. But, you know, without being in a locker room, I don't really know what the Blackhawks goaltenders prefer. Yeah, well. You know, I remember the 2015 um, Stanley Cup run, especially the Western Conference Finals against Anaheim and the finals against Tampa Bay. Oh, um, back the in the Hawk day, de- Sonny. Hawk defenders were, pardon me? <laughs> I was saying, oh, back in the day, Sonny, I remember. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the Hawk defenders, Hawk blue liners were, were engaging those guys. Uh, you know, I remember Duncan Keith was, you know, taking on guys, you know, 30 pounds heavier than him. Um, and I, I mean, I can see it in my mind's eye right now. And um it's i so i don't know if it is necessarily um that much of a of a philosophy and a coaching decision um you know um as it is um you know just just personnel um i mean jan ruda like 6'3 215 pounds he plays like he's 170 you know so i don't know yeah uh, i heard i don't i don't remember where i heard this or i read that somewhere that 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 that, that was their uh, coaching philosophy, I guess that, um, it was better to have. And I don't know if it was, you know, passed down from Jimmy weight or what, uh, me personally, I'm a short goalie. So, uh, anytime you can move a guy out of my way, please do. Cause it's really hard for me to compensate. I'm five foot seven on a good day. And, uh, you know, you get a guy in front of me who's six foot tall. I can't see anything. I may not move at all. Uh, I figured out some little secrets and tricks to, to try and compensate, but uh, it, you know, doesn't help me that much. It just keeps me from, you know, giving up seven goals game, it, but, uh, they still can expose me. So as far as the goalie goes, like if, uh, Anton Forsberg seems to be really distracted by anything in front of the net, whether it's just a single screen or a double screen because the defenseman's trying to move a guy. I don't think he deals with traffic in front of the net real well. I think he's really good positionally. He lines up well with the shot. Uh, if, if he can see the puck, I don't think he's going to give up a ton of bad goals, but it's, if there's that deflection or if there's a chance that's going to go off of a guy or, you know, he, he doesn't make that spectacular save. So, you know, but we're also talking about two different things. We're talking about guys who park in front of the goalie, you know, when the puck's in the offensive zone and it's cycling around or it's out at the point, that's one thing. The other thing is, is guys, 
you know, making a move to the net to to gather up a rebound or actually taking the puck to the net and doing so without a defenseman between them and the net. And the last year, that was the issue. It wasn't even so much guys being there and, and screening our goalies as much as it was guys being there waiting for for pizzas right there in front of the in front of the goalie. And there was no defenseman engaged at all. And to me, that's not a philosophy thing. To me, that's that was like Osterly and Keith and Gustafson just being guys who just did not want to engage. No, I agree with you on that. Um, if you're going to take that kind of mentality or that philosophy to not engage and have two guys screening your goalie, you have to be cognizant of that puck and that rebound. And you have to be, be able to jump on that rebound. Because that's what's going to happen it, when you leave a guy in front of the net. You're going to either your goalie is going to face a shot, and there's going to be a rebound, or he's going to hang on to it. One of those two things are going to happen. So you have to be ready to jump on that puck and be paying attention. You can't be standing there stiff-legged with your stick in the air. You have to have your stick down. You have to be you know ready to hunt that puck down quickly and not give someone a chance to whack that rebound. And so yeah, there's yeah, kind of I a mean, as a defenseman, you are you're, and I don't care what the philosophy is you're taught around the net to seal your guy off from the net. I mean, and I don't know that it necessarily always means being locked up mano a mano with Ryan Getzlaff in front of the net. I get that as far as, you know, creating a greater screen. I get that. But there's also just just keeping keeping um, your your opponent and your cover responsibility away from the net by by putting yourself between him and the net doesn't mean you're staying there. It's, it's just stopping that guy from unimpeded prog- progress to your goalie. Right. Get, in, get underneath the guy's last hands. Last year, the Hawks were terrible yeah. at that. Yeah, right. Getting underneath the guy's hands so he can't whack a rebound in, lifting his stick up, kick right. the puck away, things like that. Like, that's all simple, rudimentary, like, defense. Like, they teach you that when you're small. It's not something they, you know, that's some right. unusual thing in the pros. Like, it's easy right. to do, and it's some, you know. Yeah, I agree with you right. on that for sure. So, anyway, part two of the question: What changes do you think need to make? Uh, uh, do you think we can make to our decor to make them more aggressive and harder to drive on onto the net? Um, not that it needs to be meathead hockey trying to blow guys up, but it should be harder to park in front of the net, especially Crawford freshly back. Um, I think eventually um, Connor Murphy may help a little bit, not a ton. They just don't have. I don't know that they necessarily have the the the, the horses. Um, when you're going to have, you know, well, the, the league's you know, getting smaller, man. Right? The league's getting smaller. Yeah. What? Go ahead. No, I can say the if the league's getting smaller, you're going to have less guys that are going to be able to, you know, push a guy around the net, uh, <laughs> fight for a rebound. Like that's just part of what happens. If you've got a 215 pound uh, forward out there, and you've got a hundred and 65 or 70 pound defenseman went there. What are the chances that defenseman is going to come away with right. a puck? Right. So yeah, go ahead. What well, else? Stan Bowman, Stan Bowman's betting a lot on it actually. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, Murphy on his worst day is better than, than Manning or Davidson. Yes. Um, and he, he's a better defender in his end, um, which is saying a lot than Gustafson. Um, and you know, one other thing about Murphy um, and this isn't so much around the net as it is just sort of, um, you know, creating, sending that message around the blue line and controlling the blue lines is very important in hockey. Um, you know, there were times last year guys came through the blue line with with their heads down or, you know, <laughs> showboating it 
and they got laid out by Murphy. And that is not necessarily a bad thing to have on your defense, provided he doesn't get way out of position doing that. Because I know that that's why Q has has discouraged that in years past. That he doesn't doesn't want guys running around getting out of position to make a big hit. But if he can do that and and not get out of position, that that also will help the Hawks in terms of you know keeping shots off their goalie. Agreed, uh, Mark. You got anything? Nothing to add there. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think of you as a defenseman. You're probably like a, a quick forward. I would assume, right? A speedster yeah, on the wing. Just call me quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm uh, a grinder. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if the, I don't know that I believe that. But yeah. Okay. Uh, next one from Joe Hinker. The defense is living uh, living up to the atrocity we expected. We are healthy. Uh, our Forsling and Murphy are better options than Ruda and Manning. This is the question you were looking for. Uh, adding oh. to the fact that signing Kudix, Kunitz has been dreadful. Uh, that's $5.5 million on a seventh defenseman and a guy that should be retired. Thanks, Stan. Uh, what do you think the defensive pairings will look like once uh, Forsling and Murphy uh, return? John, this is a question you've been waiting for. Well, I think that um, I, Forsling is sort of like the the um, Anton Forsberg of, of the Hawk defenders. He's, he's yeah. a guy for some reason seems to have fallen out of favor. And... Um, you know, the other thing about him is, you know, where does he fit in terms? Because the Hawks have a lot of smallish puck moving defensemen now uh, between Gustafs and Keith and um, Yoki Haru. Um, and Boquist coming Gustafson down the pipe. Pardon me? Uh, Boquist coming down the pipe, too, and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, but and he's stuff, not going to yeah. be, he's not really factoring in this year. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, this year, um, you Gustafson and Keith play the left side, which was is where really where Forsling plays. Um, you know, so Forsling, I don't know if when 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 he's ready, if he's gonna gonna be in the lineup. Murphy, I think, you know, when he's ready to play, which is I think still quite a ways off, um, but when he's ready, he's he's gonna be in the lineup day one, um, and um, because he's an upgrade over a lot of the, a lot of what they have on the lower part of the depth chart. Yeah, and, and it's funny now, like we had all talked about, like, oh yeah, sure, sign Brandon Davidson. It's a little bit of. Uh... It's a little bit, uh, you know, more depth on the back end or whatever. But now it's going to get real crowded, and, and Brandon Davidson hasn't looked so good, and neither has Brandon Manning. And uh, what are you going to do with these guys? You know, twenty seven, twenty eight years old that are making. I mean, Davidson's not making a ton of money, so you could do. You could probably bury him in Rockford if you want. But, uh, you know, I don't know that he necessarily came to the Blackhawks to play in Rockford. And Manning, you're not going to demote him making two million dollars or whatever he's making. So. It's making for an interesting situation here. I, I agree with you on the, the Forsling thing. He's kind of like the Anton Forsberg. Actually, it was like originally there was Vili Polka who couldn't crack. You know, he seemed to be doing really good in Rockford. You think he might get a chance at the next level, and he never did. And then uh, kind of moved over to uh, Forsling a little bit once they moved on from Polka. But uh, Anton Forsberg also, same thing. So. Um, you got anything about the defensive pairings, Mark? No, nah, no. Yeah. Like you said, it's kind of a log jam, you know, once those guys come back and it's going to be, you know, kind of interesting to see where everybody fits in there. Yeah. It'll be nice. Mark Murphy will be a nice guy to have back in the lineup. So yeah, you can play him either side too. 
Um, so he, I think, yeah, he's he's gonna they're they're gonna find a role for him real fast because I think they actually as as an overall core probably get a little better with him versus you know who he'll replace. Yeah, and uh, you know, contrary to all the meatballs that wanted to trade Connor Murphy last year after twenty games or whatever. He's actually going to be a welcome addition to the lineup because he can only do he can only help them, right? Exactly. So uh, our boy Manifold Glue from over in Sweden, uh, the Hawks leading the pace, uh, the quote unquote pace, basically the Corsi four plus Corsi against uh, so far. But some of this, some of it is driving the pace while also having problem chasing the puck in their own zone. How should the Hawks? get the defense uh, to improve chasing pucks uh, hashtag simple to answer. I don't know. And the defense is a mess and I don't know that uh, it's, you know, it's, they're going to have to work it out. It's the only thing you can tell you. I mean, you in the middle of the season, there's not much you do in the way of changing your coaching, coaching philosophy. You just basically have to have better people out on the ice and uh, you know, play more responsible. Well, in years harder. past, what the Hawks would do when they were having difficulty getting pucks out of their end, and the, and the defensemen were were withering under a really strong forecheck, they would have the the forwards come back and help out, um, and that would generally work it out and would help. The problem with that is the Hawks want to play really, really up ice offensively. They want to they're trying real hard to be a transition team again, and so that kind of throws that philosophy or that sort of remedy out the window. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer because I, I, I don't think that they have, they have two or three defensemen who play really well in their end and that's it. And that's, that's not good. You need five or six of them yeah. to be a really good team. Yeah. If you're going to bring anyone in or anything like that, and uh, it's going to have to be a defenseman and it's going to cost. So, uh, Johnny Utah, our favorite, our Temi Panarin guy, <laughs> Uh, you guys are the best. Thank you. Um, the sod father finally showing up last night. We need to see sod and Schmaltz take that next step. I don't think Schmaltz is ever going to be an elite player. We were hoping for if Schmaltz, if uh, sod and Schmaltz can get back on track, the Blackhawks should see the return would be for these guys. Since Schmaltz is going to ask for big money or more money than he's worth. Uh, he said, when Connor Murphy comes back off of IR, where does he fit? He's another player that Bowman should have tr- should have never traded for. Catch twenty two here is that I don't trust Bowman making trades anymore. There's a lot to unpack there, but go ahead. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going back to Schmaltz and smoking Jay Cutler. Um, I, I just get the feeling. I got to be honest with you. I get the feeling that Schmaltz is a is the kind of player who. Uh, and sometimes it, it's the agent and it's it's the the family surrounding the player and that's not to say anything bad about his family I don't know them and and uh, but I get the feeling he's I mean they've built him up into a player that they're going to give a big fat contract to after this year and uh, he probably has that expectation now it's another example of this front office kind of bollocksing up a situation with a player um, now who knows. He could really turn it on this year and turn it around, and this is a, this conversation's a moot point. But right now, he's not playing like a six million dollar a year player. Now, setting that aside, um, Brandon Saad, the argument could be made he's not playing like a six million dollar a year player. But we do know that Saad can do that as an NHL player. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it in Chicago. 
Um, and we've seen him do it with a lot of the guys who are still on the team. So that's that's the difference. I mean, um, I'm I'm more confident that Saad can be that player for the Hawks than I am Nick Schmaltz because I haven't really seen Schmaltz do that day in, day out, and much less in the playoffs. I've never seen it. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of my answer to that question. I think, I think Murphy will come back and make them better to answer that part of it. Um, the other thing about the, the Panarin trade that I, you know, because the worse Saad played, the more you would hear people just slag the organization for the Panarin trade. And I'm by, far from a Stan Bowman apologist, but I still say that that trade's going to look a lot better when Panarin's wearing a Tampa Bay sweater next year. <laughs> that's that's how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, this could be a, a, a lot more uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just. It might not be just such a simple. Uh, you know, it's just a game, man. <laughs> just a game, man. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we'll we'll know what we're gonna see. But, but like you said, the the, the sad thing. He's been an all-star. He's been a 30-goal scorer. Yeah. Like, we know this is it. He can do it in the NHL. We don't know what Nick Schultz can do in the NHL. And it looks like he doesn't know what he can do in the NHL. And it looks like, you know, he may never assert himself to to, to reach his full potential if he's going to continue to be like this. I think he's going to come back. I I, I do. Yeah. Saad, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I... if you're going to give Nick Schmall $6 million, that's going to be the next guy that uh, people are going to be dying to get rid of down the road because. Well, unless, unless he figures it out, yeah. which he may. But uh, considering what, what he's doing right now, he's just uh, money's He's just burning money in the backyard in a trash can right now. Cause he's not going to have any, he's not going to have anything to hang his hat on and be like, Oh, well I scored 30 goals this year. You know, look at all the guys that scored 30 goals. Like, uh, that's not the case. He may never score 30 goals at the rate he's going. The way he... I don't even, you know, I wouldn't even care so much. I mean, if he was a, you know, a 65 point player and it was like, you know, 25 and 40 or, you know, tw- even 20 and 45, but he's like, you know, doing all those, those things that are not showing up on the, you know, the, the, the broad score sheet, but, you know, winning faceoffs. Um, a plus player, you know, in terms of possession, um, you know, all, all the things that go into to be, being part of a winning hockey team. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I don't care if he scores 30 goals, you know. I mean, he had a pretty good point total last year, but but there were other areas of the game where he just he wasn't that effective. And, and at times in types of game situations where he wasn't that effective. And that that I think is what holds him back. Yeah. Uh, and again, and. I don't necessarily disagree with them with I don't trust Bowman to make trades. It's a weird thing because it's like if they're not going to be good, do you think Bowman's still going to be here? Do you let him trade? Like you get well, in that weird situation. Another, There's another sort of school of thought on that is, and this is something I've been hearing for for a few years now, that the Hawks don't you – know, like it's not like Bowman – you know, gets an offer from a GM and says calls him back and says, yeah, let's do that and we'll add this player and, we'll be, and Bob's your uncle – um, this, the story that I've heard and the Hawks themselves have said this, that it's, it's like a committee decision and, and McDonough's got to approve every major move. And what I've heard is it's very hard to deal with the Hawks because of that, to get them to actually agree to something. And I think we may have seen some of that over the summer where they just couldn't do anything. Um, 
in free agency or in trade. Um, but the, you know, the other side of that is, is, you know, if, if, if the answer to that is getting rid of Bowman, I'm not sure you're getting rid of the problem. Um, it may be a larger organizational problem in terms of the, the overall front office, um, in terms of how trades are made. I mean, what I heard this summer was, and this was from somebody close to the team, that there was a real problem in the front office of certain people hugely overvaluing Hawk players and assets versus versus those of other teams to where they couldn't make deals with other teams because they couldn't agree on valuation of players. So, again, it's um, if, if you think Bowman's a bad trader, the, he's definitely part of the problem, but he may not be the problem. Yeah. This team, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So... I think it's obvious. Yeah. Uh, last question. Uh, AJ Capilano, who's a very handsome man. He's a, a, a musician. He was in a, a band with a friend of mine. So really nice guy, big Hawks fan. He's been on the Facebook page a lot. And Jackie Davis yeah. actually had kind of the same question too. Um, line combos seemed solid last night based off what we saw in the preseason. How about a true energy checking line with Martinson and Hayden flanking Kruger? I'm not opposed to that because that, that could be a successful fourth line, but you still got Chris Kunitz rattling around for some reason. And uh, it's just a matter of what you have and you have to use them somewhere. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a matter of Q having to use Kunitz, I guess. You know, we could devote a whole show at some point to Kunitz and, and it, listen, I, I'm sure Chris Kunitz is a really good guy off the ice. I mean, everything I've ever heard suggests that. Hey, wait, John, um, John, John, John. This aggression Pardon. will not stand, man. No, I know. <laughs> All right, know. go ahead. <laughs> um, but the Kunitz signing in and of itself is testament to how completely messed up this organization is right now because what were they expecting to accomplish? I mean, they had just gone through a year – past Patrick Sharp's expiration date, maybe two years past. Um, and, and so what do they do? They go out and sign another 38-year-old who doesn't have anything left um, for a team that clearly there's no benefit. What was the, I, guess, I guess they would say, well, Chris, is, you know, he's been around, he's won championships, he can help mentor the young guys. What do you have Jonathan Taves for? <laughs> what do you got Patrick Kane for? You know, what do you got Duncan Keith for? It just... Why go out and sign Chris Kunitz? I, I'm just mystified by that. It just to me, it's like, well, let's do something. Hey, Kunitz is over there. Let's get him. He'll come. That's what it was. I mean, I, <laughs> have, have I taken crazy pills here? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, has the whole world gone crazy? Oh <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I agree with that. And, and you know, it's we are debating a third, fourth line winger here. True, but. Absolutely. He's taking, he's taking spots from people who are probably right. more talented that can probably provide, provide more raw talent on the ice and potential. And you got a guy who's, you know, on the side of his career, he's slower. He's not going to score you a ton of goals. Like John Hayden. John Hayden. Yeah. Could be benefiting from those minutes. Yeah. Like get him in there. Let him, let him get comfortable. Like don't scratch him every other night. Get him in there. Play him every night. Force him to you know, get comfortable in the, in the lineup. And I have nothing against Andreas Martinson. I actually like the guy. I think he's, he's got a, you know, that high motor and that hard to play against and that, you know, all the, all he the leaves marks. 
Yeah, all the cliches. But, um, you know, he's fast. He uh, keeps the, the, the opposing defenseman honest. They got to have their head up when he's out there. Uh, Marcus Kruger wins face-offs. Like, they have, they have some positive things right there. Chris Kunitz, I don't know why you'd play, you know, you put Chris Kunitz out there. It changes the whole dynamic of that line. Uh, you know, if you got John Hayden on one side, Chris Kunitz on the other, and Marcus Kruger, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you get out of that line. That's not an energy line. There's nothing energy about that. Yeah, I don't, again, I, and I, it's nothing against Chris Kunitz. I mean, I'm sure he's given everything he has. He's had a great career, but I just I don't know why he's with this team. And to me, that you know, again, you're right. We're talking about a third line player for I think he's a million dollars a year. Yeah. I just don't know why they went and signed him because that those minutes could be beneficial to Alex Fortin, John Hayden, um, Alex or Highmore. Matthew Highmore is another guy who could be with this team. And and you know, unless unless the Hawks really don't think those guys have much of a future, which I guess is possible that they think that, but uh, that's not good either. Yeah. Well, uh, just, just, you know, uh, glancing through stats, Chris Kunitz, nine games played. He has basically the worst time on ice for any of the regulars. Uh, the only guys that are behind him are Martinson, Davidson, Luke Johnson, John Hayden, and Alex Fortin. Everyone else has got more uh, time on ice. He's got no goals. He's got one assist. Um, uh, I don't see. I don't. There's. I don't have his possession numbers here. But he really doesn't. He's just a a space filler. He's the the mannequin man e Ken that they brought out on the ice. That is what Chris Kunis is doing during the game. He's just a body Manny, out there. Manny Keen. Yeah. He's a body that's just getting in the way of the net, you know, and not doing much more of anything else. Yeah, I mean, like even even Manning. I mean, you you wanted to you wanted to add some size. You wanted to add a guy who blocks some shots. I could, you know, in spite of his limitations, he he can be that kind of player. Um, I just I don't know what they were thinking with Kunitz. And I mean, again, I salute him on a great career, et cetera. But he's it it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and it just kind of alludes to a larger decision-making problem with this team yeah i, I just uh i just want to jump in no uh, no like, go uh, ahead on, i was gonna ask you next after, uh, <laughs> oh sorry after um kunitz made that terrible uh turnover and uh it just happened to be on the same night that anthony duclair had that highlight real goal like no way am i saying that anthony duclair you know has the value of chris kunitz in his prime but it's just like Anthony Duclair signed to a $650,000 contract for one year with Columbus. He's 23 years old and has upside still at only 23 years old. And Kunitz, 39 years old for a million dollars taking up space. It's like, just take a flyer on Duclair. They didn't even offer him anything. I th- I don't know about Duclair, though. It's funny because I tweeted um, the other night that Duclair is still in that sort of phase with Columbus that he has with other team, other every team he's with where he looks lights out for a little while. And then suddenly, you know, it's like, you know, fish that's left out too long. It starts to smell. Um, th- there's something about him that is, is basically wearing out his welcome everywhere he goes. And I don't think that you could deny it at this point. Um, great athlete. I'm not sure he has high hockey sense. That's the other thing. Um, I, I hear you though, but I mean, 
if it's not Anthony Duclair, maybe it's somebody else, you know, a young guy that they could bring in and, and uh, either from the system or outside the system, um, you know, to, to, to get those minutes because it, it's rebuild and you rebuild is not, not uh, consistent with, or not equal to Chris Kunitz. It's not right. No, I understand. I mean, that was just the example I used. Right. Like, somebody out there and happen to have right. a nice goal that same night, you know, no, but like, and yeah, I, I understand the, uh, the rap on him. And usually when it's gone, you know, you're on your fourth team in five years or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. People know about no, but you. You're, I mean, you make a good point. He's for, to make your point, he's a good example. I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, to his, I, I will give him a compliment, <laughs> even though I don't understand why he's on this team. His actual possession numbers are really good, but what is that getting them? It's not getting them anything. If your possession numbers are good and it's not equating, you know, it's not turning into goals, it's not doing you anything. Well, and he's only playing know, a little bit of time, so he's probably being healthily sheltered. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's getting his offensive zone starts are double, uh, you know, his defensive zone starts. So they're starting him, you know, they're they're sheltering him in the offensive zone. Uh. Yeah, so I guess you know whatever you're you're sheltering a thirty nine year old guy. I it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, he's always you know in his career historically, he's he's had really good numbers playing with really good players. He's been that kind of player, almost like a Troy Brower, and um, you know uh, he he doesn't make any sense playing with the Hawks' best players. So again, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I think that answers about everything. You got any other questions or any other things you want to bring up? I No, I got nothing tonight. Right, cool. it's, been a, it's been a good long podcast, a lot yeah. of good discussion. Yeah, I want to uh, – Peppy, you got anything else you want to uh, plug or anything like that before we before I start rolling? No, not until somebody starts paying me. <laughs> Warrior, you hear that? Um, I want to thank a lot of people who came out and they reviews put reviews and ratings on uh, iTunes this week. Uh, we really appreciate that. And you know, people, it's nice to hear from people we don't normally hear from uh, to know there's more than just five fans out there for, of ours. So thank you to uh, Jay Gambino, Canucks twenty four, uh, Vance twenty five, uh, Old Time Hockey, All Goalies Matter, who I know. I think he uh, left a review on uh, my old podcast and uh, knapsack hockey tip and ring all you people. Uh, thank you for, uh, for leaving reviews and going and ranking us and uh, stuff like that. So we really appreciate it and uh, pass it, pass the word on to your friends. So that said, uh, you can find all of our wonderful content at www.the-rink.com. You can find us on the uh, popular social media at the rink official. Uh, that's a joint account. You'll you'll get stuff from a lot of us. You get it from me, get it from Pappy, get it from uh, Mario and uh, John and Aaron. So there's a lot of people joining in on that. Uh, on Instagram as well, at the Rink Official. Uh, this this account for the podcast is at the Rinkcast. You can find me at Puck and Hostel. You can find John at Jekyll J A E C K E L. Pappy is Pappy underscore Hour. So it's Pappy Hour. That's Mark. Paprizika. Uh if you get a chance Mark Louis Paprizika. Yeah, I know. I just say Mark though. Uh hope you're not offended, Mark. Not at all. Okay, good, good. Man, come on. <laughs>
You're being very on, dude. If you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us. Uh, like all the, the fine people did. We really appreciate that. Uh, I don't have any major plugs. Uh, just go over to puck hockey, get yourself some gear. Uh, John, anything? Uh, no, nope. Pappy, anything more other than warrior VIP? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Nope. All right, cool. Uh, you could follow Pappy also on uh, Instagram as well. And, uh, there's an associated account, uh, with, I do have have a plug. Okay. Go ahead. Um, today on the Twitters, uh, I had the uh, pleasure to, and the honor to announce that, uh, we've added, uh, a writer who's going to cover, um, major juniors for us specifically. So, you know, joining Mario Tirabasi, who's covering Rockford in the AHL for us and has done so since our launch, uh, November of 2017, Aaron, Aaron Goldschmidt, who's done the same with NCAA hockey and uh, most recently, Evan Miller, who covers um, Indy Fuel and ECHL for us. Uh, Ron Luce is going to cover uh, Major Junior for us, CHL and USHL. So literally, you know, every stage of prospect, you know, Hawk prospect development and, um, you know, playing levels, we're going to have dedicated writers covering all of those. And, uh, you know, as we've always promised you, you know, the, the deepest coverage of hockey available on the internet and certainly in Chicago. Um, and we're, so we're real excited about Ron taking this on. We've been looking for somebody to do this to, uh, you know, sort of further round us out. And, uh, that's, that's going to be one more reason to, you know, be hitting the rink every morning for your hockey fix and to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, that's a good plug. I like that. Um, Absolutely. I was just thinking, like, today I was uh, going through some of Evan's stuff with the Indie Fuel, and I'm amazed at uh, how in-depth he gets with it. And so uh, really uh, really cool how how enthused he is about all the information he's getting, too. So Yeah, Evan's a good kid, and he's been killing it out there at Indy. So uh, make sure you're following yeah. him. It's Evan F. Miller on uh, Twitter. Uh, and we're going to have him on. He's going to actually have some indie fuel reports that we're going to add in kind of like we did with mario last year so we want to get uh, evan more involved but make sure you're you're uh, if you're an indie fuel fan or if you're you know into the deep uh depths of the blackhawks organization make sure you're paying attention to what uh, evan has because uh, he's been uh, just absolutely killing it though so uh, okay well that's it uh thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to download listen and support us until next episode you on the right.